Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Welcome to More Than Amused podcast, a podcast all about women and the arts hosted by Stani and Sadie. Join us as we explore what it's like being a female artist, examine modern day problems, and educate ourselves and others on important and forgotten female artists of Welcome the past. Welcome back everyone to a- another week with More Than Amused podcast. I'm Sadie. I'm Stani. And we are happy you're here. We are. We're really happy you're here. And before we forget, because we've been super bad at this, if you've been enjoying the podcast and just enjoying listening to all of these episodes, then take some time to like rate and review and follow and subscribe or whatever all of the things are. Mm-hmm. Um, it really helps us out. And it would be great to just hear from all of you about the things that you're enjoying. So exactly. I think it'd be nice too to know what you like the most of that way we know what to continue doing. You know, like, mm-hmm. do you like more of like the artist spotlights or topics or I don't know. We're having fun doing it all. So I want to know what you guys we like. are. Yes, exactly. And I guess to add to that, we also now have a Patreon. Yes. So join our Patreon. Um, the little link is on our podcast website. Mm-hmm. There's just like a little thing in the header that says join our Patreon and you can go there and start being a part of that. Yes. And you get a super cute pin and other exclusive things that you can read about on our Patreon website. But mm-hmm. yes, we would love the support. Cool. Well, before we jump jump into your person, I guess, today, a little brief Muse news segment here that mm. the Grammy nominations came out last week Ooh. or this week. By the time it's listening, it's a couple weeks ago. I don't even think I've looked at them. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> so I, a little bit of a disclaimer that I love the Grammys. I think the Grammys are so fun, but yet also like with award shows, like it's always going to be like a little bit problematic, you know, like there's always things to discuss and I think it's important to have those conversations, but personally like there's sometimes people who are like so above the grammys you know where they're like "Uh uh-huh it's just this flawed organization which like yes true but any (laughs) musician who gets nominated for a grammy would be so excited and considerate and honor (laughs) of course so that's like my one little beef with people who act like above the grammys i'm like no 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 the grammys are a big deal we can talk about the problems that the grammys have but yeah anyways though A cool thing happened where this year, 47% of all nominations were women, and that is the record for the most amount of women. Awesome. Almost 50-50. Kind of, 
yeah kind of sad that it's like not 50 50 and like that's the record is like 47 and not even half yeah i know but like still that's really impressive like actually looking at the list now they they did pretty good in my opinion i mean this year the country albums every single country album nominated for best country album was a woman was like done was a woman artist which is Honestly, I feel like I want to do a whole episode sometime on country music because women in country music have a really hard time getting radio airplay. Um, I think it's a little bit of a boys club, but yet when it comes to like critical acclaim, like it's all women in the best country albums this year. So. Oh, for sure. Super cool. My jaw like literally dropped when I saw that they were all women because I know that's something that's just been a thing with in country music. There's obvious, like, there's obvious snubs. Like, there's snubs that happen every year that mm-hmm. I was personally shocked. But in the Grammy album of the year, I was, like, pretty, like, surprised by. I thought some people would get it that didn't get it. But that's okay. <laughs> Best pop solo performance, Yummy, by Justin Bieber. Yeah, Why um, is that song everywhere? <laughs> I have to, I was watching the Grammy, the Grammy nominations live, and my jaw literally hit the floor when it was like yummy by justin bieber and i was like oh my dear (laughs) really i just come on i know i know obviously this is a woman's podcast but this year the weekend he had one of the biggest songs biggest albums of the year he Mm -hmm. didn't he got zero nominations that's really lame i know so again there's always issues with the grammys but i love the fact that this year it was actually about 50 50 as far as women being nominated which is like i think a pretty big win yeah that's really impressive yeah the album ones are actually kind of a little bit more obscure than like i hadn't heard of some of them so yeah that's really interesting yeah i mean folklore got there i know folklore got taylor swift got six nominations this year which good after the last two album cycles of hers she hardly really got any nominations so i feel like Mm -hmm. she's coming back to sweep truthfully yeah we okay spoiler alert we have like a whole episode coming up about her yes and we can talk more about that but i just remember in her documentary the moment when she like realized she didn't have any nominations for reputation yes right was it reputation Uh it was and she was just kind of like super bummed out and i was like man i feel bad i know (laughs) reputation was a really good album i know (laughs) like it wasn't my favorite of hers but like it was up there yeah it was good and i know i feel like oh I'm already excited for that episode because then it can go the whole thing of like she, she I don't know she cares a lot about critical acclaim because she, she puts her whole mm-hmm. worth into it which you shouldn't do but also I get the disappointment yeah like and there's something too caring about it like you mm-hmm. want to be good at what you're doing like and get recognized me, I, yeah like if I got anywhere close to like critical acclaim as a graphic designer like no, yeah. I would be walking on air yeah. like that's <laughs> no I know if I got a Grammy nomination it would literally be like hello my name is Sadie and by the way I am <laughs> I a Grammy, Grammy nominated <laughs> like exactly. nobody would it's ever like, hear the end of it <laughs> it's literally like an Olympic gold medal for a musician like I think people forget that kind of reference sometimes that it's like the best that you can do kind of there's nothing really higher than that totally yes so anyways good things are happening i feel like we need to do a bonus episode when the winners actually happen on the show because i'm grammy obsessed i love it i think it's so fun pop culture just my fave 
We so. should do a whole Grammy episode and choose what our nominations would have been. <gasps> Ooh, that would be fun. <laughs> <laughs> and then we can have everyone vote of and who they would the winners. Win. Okay, I actually really like that idea. We're doing our own Muse Grammys. This we'll is do more than a Muse Grammys. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but 47%, come on. It could I have know. been 50-50. <laughs> I know. But I think that's so crazy. Because yeah. let me just do this little brief little caveat and then we will jump into the episode. Because mm-hmm. two or three years ago, like there was a very obvious like no women were nominated and like for yeah. album of the year that year i think it was 2017 because lord's melodrama was the only album that was nominated for album of the year that was a woman and it was super like the it was just there was hardly any women there and the president yeah. of the grammy nominations was pretty much like oh well women just need to make better music then mm-hmm. like that was very much what it wow. was it's like oh, well, if you want to be recognized, you better start making better music because you need to step up. So then the next year, I think they felt bad about what they said because most of the performances were by women and, like, highlighting women. And then, like, Dua Lipa won for Best New Artist. And she got up there and during her acceptance speech was like, I guess women stepped up this year, didn't we? And it was like, oh, so (laughs) now here we are. And it's almost 50-50. So that's that's awesome. We'll give them credit. They're doing better. Yes, exactly. I think they're slowly learning, but there will always be ways to improve different establishments including the grammy committee i know that insulting women actually doesn't help anybody can you believe that (laughs) how odd i know i hate it when that happens (laughs) that's really dumb i know oh man okay good for them though i know i'm stoked on it but anyways you can that's all. That's all my little segment for Muse News. I was super <laughs> stoked about it, but had to mention no, it. No, that's really exciting. Thank you. Uh-huh. Cool. Well, I actually wanted to ask you a question. Um, today, I'm going to be talking about a ballerina. Ooh. And I wanted to know if you had ever taken dance classes when you were little. Yeah, I actually had. I did. I mean, um, I totally, like from the time I was like, uh, I don't know. Like, my first thing I got into as a kid was, like, gymnastics and tumbling and Mm -hmm. dance. But then I started wearing myself too thin where I was, like, on the competition dance teams. But then I was also taking singing lessons and guitar lessons and piano lessons. And then my mom was like, stop. Like, you need to pick. What do you want to do? Do you want to be a dancer or do you want to do music? And then I, I just liked music so much more. So... There's kind of like a critical life moment where I could have been a dancer or a theater nerd and I chose the theater nerd path and happy I did it. That's so interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, I took ballet when I was six. Oh, really? And I was awful. (laughs) I was so bad at it. That's so funny. So I'm, I was really tall for my age Mm -hmm. um I'm like average height now I'm like five seven but when I was little I was always the tallest and yeah it's in my genes my whole family's tall it's just my older brother is like five no sorry he's six five oh I was gonna say (laughs) like five six (laughs) (laughs) no he's six foot five and uh, my younger my littlest brother is about the same height as him now and still growing so everyone's just really tall in my family Mm -hmm. and um if you know anything about dance it's easier if you're shorter Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. because you can like flip your body better and everything else and like I just didn't have it and <laughs> I like couldn't touch my toes even when I was six years old I still can't like my body just doesn't bend that way mm-hmm. <laughs> so I tried I really enjoyed it I always loved ballet I wanted to be a ballerina so badly yeah. but after my best friend who was in dance class with me moved away my mom asked if I wanted to go back and I was just like no I'm like I'm good <laughs> yeah I was the tallest in the class I knew I wasn't good like I could just tell <laughs> and so I was like no I'm done <laughs> Play is good. I, I recognize my abilities. Yeah. I was just never an athlete. Yeah. I mean, same. My one, like, <laughs> my claim to fame, I'm going to say, is that I've never in my life been a part of an organized sports team. Being dance. <laughs> never was a part of, like, the AYSO soccer. No rec league nice. anything. I am nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I did t-ball. Oh, wow. See, that's awesome. <laughs> For two years. I love it. it. Yeah, around the same time. But yeah, <laughs> she's like, nope, not for me. I wish I could dance, though. Like, I know. Same. That's kind of like part of me, like, wishes I could, like, do that now. I'm like, I feel like there needs to be, like, beginning dance classes for adults. I know, right? That's, like, not going to make me feel like an idiot for yeah. doing <laughs> I loved dancing just for fun. I remember we would watch Dancing with the Stars and me and my little brother would like choreograph little fake ballroom dances in our basement and stuff. And then like me and my cousins would put on like little dance shows and everything. And I liked theater because it was easy dance. Oh, yeah. So (laughs) I could dance, but it wasn't too complicated. (laughs) My thing is like with dancing, like I love music so much. And when I'm, like, listening to music, I feel like I, like, want to express it, you know? Mm -hmm. But I just, like, I have no idea how to move my body. So it's very Mm -hmm. much just, like, me flailing my limbs and just, like, (laughs) jumping around. But, like, it's fun. It's expressive. Yeah. No, I think dance is a really beautiful art form. Mm -hmm. And one that I honestly didn't know a lot about. Um, So it was, like, kind of really cool diving into this. Um, Today I'm talking about Misty Copeland, who is actually a ballerina and she's still alive, which is one of the first people we've covered Mm -hmm. that is still alive. And the reason why I chose her is um, I was just kind of looking for ballerinas that had made like a really big impact And there was a couple from, like, clear back in the day, but there just wasn't a lot of information about them. Mm. Like, a lot of historical ballerinas, there's just not, like, a lot of info. And um, Misty Copeland's name kept coming up in, like, famous ballerinas. And the more I found out about her, the more I was like, okay, we need to talk about her. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, she's not historical, but the fact that, like, I didn't know her name even with all the achievements that she's done has kind of shown me that maybe we need to pay more attention to that and that this is something that could get more recognition. Yeah. But that means that our state of the arts is a current look at ballet and dance um, in the world today. And obviously I couldn't touch on everything because there's a lot out there and kind of diving into it more showed me how much of like a world there is that exists Mm -hmm. that... I um, have been completely oblivious to my entire life. So the first part is, is like, there is a really big lack of diversity in ballet. 
so Misty Copeland is black. And in 2015, she was named the first African-American female principal dancer of the prestigious American Ballet Theater. Wow. And that means that, like, it took until 2015 when ballet has been around for, like, hundreds of years, I think. Like, at least 100 years. Yeah. A long time. <laughs> to have, yeah. Like, to have a f- African-American female principal dancer. Yeah. And there had been other, like, African-American soloists. But, like, she was the first, like, principal dancer. Like. Wow. Yeah. And something that Misty Copeland herself has, like, spoken out on a few times is blackface is, like, super common in ballet still. Really? Um, mm-hmm. Specifically in other countries. Uh, Copeland actually had, like, a Instagram post that she put out about the ballet, the Russian ballet company. Mm-hmm. It's called, like, Bolshoi Theater. And they had a ballet that they were doing that was set in India. And so they had all of their dancers wearing blackface, pretty much. Like spandex that was like a different color. And she spoke out about it and said, like, I'm tired of giving oppressors the benefit of the doubt. And she's like, we need to expose these people. Like, this is so annoying. Yeah. And the reason why other companies in other countries don't really listen to a lot of the criticism they get is because they're like, well... Blackface isn't a part of our history, so it doesn't have the same meaning to us as it does to you in America. And it's like, (laughs) I feel like we can all agree that that's kind of just not. It's an excuse. (laughs) Yeah. And she even said it's like ballet is all over the world. You can go on YouTube and you can watch the ballet on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And she's like, it's not solely isolated like maybe it once was. And if you want to keep the art form alive and relevant and growing, you're going to have to open your doors. She explained that driving the use of blackface drives members of the black community away from ballet, saying why would they want to come and pay for a ticket and go into the theater when they're going to be disrespected on stage. Yeah. Well, Mm -hmm. I feel like I think sometimes with higher art forms, there can kind of be like a uh, I can't think of the word, but it's like we need to preserve it in the way that it was always intended, intended rather than making it accessible to new audiences when like mm-hmm. there's there's te- there tends to be like there's such purists about it you know but then mm-hmm. at the same time they don't realize that doing so is going to kill the art form because yeah the world is changing culture is changing and like you have to be mindful of that if you want to open it to new audiences and it's like they're sh- they're shooting themselves in the foot you know with doing they things really like that. are yeah it's like you've got to allow the diversity to be there and Mm -hmm. in order to do that you kind of got to step up your game yeah (laughs) you can't have blackface and then expect to get more black ballet dancers yeah like and also too I feel like the excuse of like well that's not a problem here it's like like she said like you can watch it on YouTube like it's not Mm -hmm. like it's so isolated in the world where a performance in Russia no one's gonna know about it anywhere else in the world you know like interesting yeah It's Yeah, so that was kind of something that opened my eyes to that whole situation within ballet. Mm -hmm. And obviously, I could go on more about it. But another part I wanted to touch on is actually sexism in ballet. Yeah. Um, Which a lot of people, I don't think, realize that it's there. Because if you think of ballerinas, you think of women. Yes. And I actually, when I started, there's this article I'm going to put in the show notes. Because it's, it's from her campus. Um, but like a different branch. I've read the Salt Lake City one a lot, but it's a different branch of her campus. Mm -hmm. 
And um, this girl who's a ballerina herself did this whole article about um, sexism in ballet. And I thought when I first started reading it that it was going to be about how like men kind of receive more sexism in ballet. Yeah. And it was extremely eye-opening. She talked about that most American professional ballet companies have nearly equal members of male and female dancers, which makes sense because they need the people for the roles. Yes. So it's like 50-50. But growing up, there's usually only two or three boys in classes of like 30 students mm. in ballet classes, which makes sense. Thinking back, I don't think we had any in yeah, mine. I don't so, think so either. So because there's only a few boys and they need to make sure that they get to like the professional level to join the dance companies – Boys get guaranteed roles in every show they audition for, yeah. scholarships to prestigious summer programs, endless amounts of praise. Leadership roles in ballet are ov- overwhelmingly head by men. Mm-hmm. So one third of artistic directors of ballet companies are women. Interesting. So that means two thirds of artistic directors are male. Mm-hmm. And um, those artistic directors that are women are making 68 cents to the male colleague's dollar. Wow. So they're not being paid as much. And the artistic directors are deciding which ballets are performed, which choreograph- choreographers will be commissioned, and which dancers will be hired, mm-hmm. which means that in ballet companies, men are making all of the decisions. And only 17% of ballets performed by top American companies are choreographed by women. Wow. What I think yeah. is so interesting is that there's such a surplus of women, you know, but that like those other roles in the ballet community you would think that if there was like extra women that oh maybe they could be in the art directors or the choreographers or in those places Mm -hmm. but no it's like you know what I mean like that's weird that there's so many extra women but in those extra slots that aren't just the performers there's still men that are the majority there yes and I think that's something that happens in all of the arts yeah like there's such there's so many women yeah that like the men are being promoted more and that's kind of the problem is that it's like you're ignoring the mass of your people like you have this huge amount of like educated trained people and you're promoting the men instead of the women yeah it reminds me of because even just like in the UVU music program in like the classical and opera program, the truth of the matter is when you went to audition for something, there were so many sopranos that were going to be auditioning for the same role. So even if there were like a lot of women who were capable of that role, potentially, um, you know, like there just wasn't enough roles to go around, but then there Mm -hmm. was half of the men, you know? And so when there were roles, they were almost like scrambling for more men to fill in the extras because there were so many more women on stage than men. And then, so, but then it kind of made it so those men were getting so many more opportunities to be taught and, Mm -hmm. you know, take on those roles that were going to make them grow. And, you know, it's, it's an interesting dynamic. It really is. Um, And she mentioned in this article that she thinks that by having a lot of those leadership roles filled by men, Mm -hmm. it's probably contributing to a power imbalance that can um, contribute to like sexual harassment, abuse, Mm -hmm. and eating disorders within ballet companies. Yeah. And I thought that was a really interesting point that like that issue can continue to cause more problems that are like really common with ballet. I think we all know that eating disorders in ballet kind of tend to go 
hand in hand, yeah. which is really sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and we'll actually end up talking that a little about that a little bit in Misty Copeland's story as well. Um, more of the issues that come with ballet that we all kind of have heard about. But also, like, the sexual harassment within ballet is kind of a bigger issue than I had thought about. She said, it seems nearly impossible for a female ballet dancer to make it through intensive training without some sort of emotional trauma. It is really sad. And then um, I really loved this quote that she had at the end, which I'll end kind of the state of the arts with about. She said, I learned from my 14 years of ballet training is that female dancers aren't princesses or fairies or swans. They aren't little girls playing dress up. They're strong, passionate athlete artist hybrids with immense amounts of grit. They deserve to feel more comfortable in their own bodies, to be treated as leaders, to choreograph their own works, and to run their own companies. Women are so much more than their bodies, and so is ballet. Wow, I love that. Yeah, Mm -hmm. so it was a really wonderful article. She talks a little bit more about, like, what it was like to be a ballerina with a bigger body type, Mm -hmm. um, which I think is really inspirational. I'm not going to dive into it too much in this episode because Misty Copeland is doesn't really fit into that Mm -hmm. um she's very slim (laughs) so she kind of had more of the standard ballet body type but I think it's a really wonderful article and kind of touches on a lot of the things that I think we don't focus on with ballet as much Mm -hmm. so yeah that's kind of the background of ballet I'm sure there's more I'm not a ballerina yeah But kind of gives a little bit of context to some of those deep-rooted issues that come with um, art forms that have been around for a really, really long time. So, um, Misty Danielle Copeland was born on September 10th, 1982, um, which means nowadays she's around 38 years old. Oh, okay, cool. So she's pretty young. Mm-hmm. And she was born in Kansas City, Missouri, but she actually was raised in California, mm. um, in, like, L.A. area. So her mom plays, like, a crucial part in her story. Her name's Sylvia. And then her mom actually had four marriages throughout Copeland's youth. So there's quite a few husbands that kind of enter in and out of the story. Um, her father, Misty's father, um, his name's Doug copeland um she actually didn't see her dad between the ages of two and 22 so there was like 20 years in between um seeing them so she didn't have like a huge relationship with her father and her mom had so misty's the youngest of four children from her mother's second marriage and then has two younger half siblings um, one from each of her mother's third and fourth marriages. Got so it. kind of like it's a large family with a lot of like half and yeah, like kind of confusing. Um, but basically it was a single mom with a lot of kids mm-hmm. pretty much. Her mother actually was a former Kansas, Kansas City Chiefs cheerleader. Oh, cool. And she had like studied dance and she was actually a trained medical assistant, but she was working mostly in sales mm. throughout the entire time. So, um, when the family moved to San Pedro, Misty was in elementary school, and she saw um, a film about Nadia Comaneci on television. And Nadia was a Romanian gymnast and five-time Olympic gold medalist. Oh, cool. 
Yeah. And that kind of became like her role model. And even though um, Misty Copeland had never studied ballet or gymnastics formally, um, she would like choreograph flips and dance moves to Mariah Carey songs on her own. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. Which sounds like what every young girl does, you know, like you dance to your songs. And um, but when she was in middle school, she um, ended up doing what her older sister Erica had done Mm -hmm. and joined the middle school drill team. Which I thought was really cool. I didn't know that middle schools had drill teams, but I went to a weird middle school. Did yours have one? Um, I don't think so. I think there was just like the cheer, you know, the cheer squad. But then you could also do like dance classes. Okay. So like I think I took like dance one in like eighth grade. Yeah. (laughs) But I don't think there was like a dance team or something that you could try out for in middle school. I don't know though. Maybe they yeah. I was like. The drill team was a big deal in our high school. Oh, yes, I remember it was. That. <laughs> yeah. But apparently this middle school had a drill team. And oh. um, Misty Copeland actually was the captain of the Dana Middle School drill team. Oh, cool. Yeah, which I thought was awesome because she didn't have any training, but she was, like, that good. And the coach actually noticed, like, her natural grace and, like, talent and um, ended up sort of like introducing her to dance oh that's um, cool to formal dance so her mom at the time was actually living in a motel room with all of her children which is I can't even imagine like yeah they had two small rooms at a sunset inn in California that they were living at which was really hectic and crazy but in 1996 the dance coach invited her to attend a ballet class at her local boys and girls club Mm. which taught like one of the uh, local ballet teacher um who was a friend of the dance coach she she taught a free ballet class at the club once a week which i thought was kind of cool yeah that is cool so misty attended a few several classes and like watched for a while and then she ended up joining in and then um, because of just, like, how good she was and, like, talented she was just right off the bat, the teacher invited her to attend a class at her ballet school. Oh, cool. And, yeah, she initially was like, no, I can't because her mom didn't have a car, was working, like, 14-hour days, mm-hmm. and her older sister, Erica, was working two jobs. But then the teacher was like, no, like, I really want to make this work. Like, I'll pick you up from school. Wow. And so, yeah. So her mom was like, okay, that's fine. And so um, Misty Copeland began her ballet studies at the age of 13, which is really, really late. That's what I was just thinking. Like, I, like, that's so crazy that it's at 13, because I imagine it's like usually like six or eight or Mm -hmm. I don't know, younger even. (laughs) No, it's really crazy how late she started. Um but she's considered a prodigy yeah. because within like she was dancing I'm gonna say it wrong and point so like oh yeah okay point ballet within three months of taking her first class and performing professionally in just over a year which is something that's just unheard of for any classical dancer and I don't think that they have like a comparison to anyone like that like most professional ballerinas start really really early Wow. And the fact that she started at 13 and she was that good is just like crazy. Dang. I mean, I guess it just attests to her natural ability and talent. Yeah. Like she was just a true ballet prodigy. Wow. 
So, um, just with everything going on and how busy life was, her mom told her that she'd have to give up ballet. But the teacher wanted to continue pushing her. Um, and the teacher's name since. Cynthia Bradley. So if I start referring to her as Bradley, that's why. So her mom agreed to it and um, agreed to let this um, Cynthia Bradley actually offered to have Misty move in with the family during the week in order to make ballet more possible so that she wasn't driving back and forth from the studio and mm-hmm. school and everything else all the time. And um, her mother actually agreed to it. And so... Misty Copeland and her mother signed a management contract with Bradley. And then um, Misty would spend the weekdays at the Bradleys and then the weekends at home with her mom, which was a two-hour bus ride away. Wow. And for the next three years, this was kind of the arrangement they had. And her career started to, like, really take off. By the age of 14, she had won a national ballet contest and had her first solo role. Wow. Yeah. Um, they also, her ballet teachers were able to introduce her to books and videos about ballet. And she got some new role models, including Palomona Herrera, who was a principal dancer with the American Ballet Theater. And um, she said she began to idolize her as much as she had um, idolized Mariah Carey, which I thought was really cute. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then her first, like, big career role, I guess, was um, her role as Clara in The Nutcracker, mm. um, which is a very famous ballet. And she had only been dancing for eight months at that point, And she won the ballet role of Clara, which is the lead role in The Nutcracker. Um, and the media noticed her because she drew 2,000 patrons per show. So 2,000 people were coming just to see her. That's amazing. Which is just crazy. Yeah. And then she also played um, a larger role as Kitri in Don, I'm going to say it wrong, Don Quizzo, mm-hmm. which I know is not how you say it. And then um, she also was in a featured role of the Chocolate Nutcracker, which I didn't know was a thing. Oh. It's an African-American version of the tale. Oh, which I thought was really cool. And they actually modified the role that she got, especially for her. And the wow. whole production has like ethnic dances, which is really cool. And now I want to go to a production of the Chocolate Nutcracker. That's awesome. So she was getting like a lot of attention from her dance teacher and their family because her mom had six kids and was working 14 hour days and was living in a motel room and this family was like more well off and they were really really religious so they would take her to their synagogue and celebrate shabbat with her and she was just like really enjoying being in like a close-knit family Mm -hmm. with like a mom and a dad and everything else including like she got a lot of intensive ballet training yeah so she was getting to dance all the time. And then actually, like, Bradley's husband was a modern dance teacher. And so he was helping with that, too, and kind of increasing her skills in all areas of dance. Mm-hmm. And then actually, the summer before her 15th birthday, her dance teacher began to homeschool her wow. for 10th grade to free up more time for dance so that she could dance more often. So obviously, she was kind of getting really close to this family. At 15, she won first place in an L.A. Music Center Spotlight Award. 
Um, and she said it was the first time she'd ever actually been nervous, which I thought was kind of funny. Yeah. Two years. And that's the first time she gets nervous. The winners received scholarships for like up to $2,000. And it was like her first um, recognition by the LA Times. Mm-hmm. So they were like, wow. And they actually called her the best young dancer in the greater Los Angeles area. Wow. Um, which is awesome. And then she went on to attend a summer workshop at the San Francisco Ballet School. And they ended up fielding offers from Joffrey Ballet, the American Ballet Theater, and the Dance Theater of Harlem. And out of all the programs she auditioned for around that time, only the New York City Ballet declined to make an offer. Wow. Every other ballet theater wanted her, which is just crazy (laughs) because... Like, she'd only been dancing for two years. Yeah. Like, it's just crazy to think about that. Um, she was placed in the most advanced classes, was under full tuition plus expenses as a scholarship for all the workshops, and then continued to get offers to continue as a full-time student at these ballet schools. Wow. Yeah, which is just crazy. Um, because she was traveling so much, she had gone quite a while without seeing her mom. And so even though they were like, hey, we want you as a full-time student at our ballet school, she declined the offer because she wanted to go home and her mom had been encouraging her to go home. Mm. And um, she was just going to continue to do her personal training with her ballet teacher and then um, have another summer with the American Ballet Theater. And this is kind of when a custody battle erupted, (laughs) which was a really interesting turn. I'm realizing more and more that I feel like every single artist we cover has some like legal battle (laughs) involved, (laughs) which is really crazy. Um, She went home and her and her mom just started arguing a lot, which I think is pretty common for a 15 year old girl Mm -hmm. and a mother. But with this, like, added new family, it kind of changed the dynamic a little bit where I think she was arguing a lot more about things. Um, Her mom really started to resent the influence of these dance teachers. And it doesn't specifically say what it was exactly, Mm -hmm. but I think she probably just saw her daughter changing a lot. Yeah. And was very concerned. And because she was encouraging her to not study dance anymore with the Bradleys Misty got really really scared that she wasn't going to be able to dance anymore mm-hmm. and she had heard about emancipation while she was in San Francisco and it was a pretty common thing for young performers to like secure funds and like make sure that they can kind of study and do whatever they want they would file for emancipation from their parents wow yeah um and so the Bradleys actually introduced her to a lawyer who explained emancipation and were kind of helping her file. Messy. <laughs> for, <laughs> yeah, for emancipation from her mother. And they actually encouraged her to be absent from her home when it was filed. Mm-hmm. And so she ran away from home for three days and was staying with a friend. And then um, when the emancipation papers were filed... And her mother actually reported her missing to the police because she was like, where's my daughter? Mm -hmm. And then was told about emancipation while her daughter was missing. Oh. Which (laughs) I can't even imagine how horrible that would be (laughs) to be like, my daughter's missing. And then they're like, actually, she's trying to divorce you. (laughs) So um, three days after running away, she was returned to her mom by the police. And then her mother hired a lawyer. 
and started filing restraining orders against the Bradleys. Wow. Um, which included filing a restraining order against their five-year-old son, which was kind of weird because apparently she shared a room with, like, their son had shared a room with Misty. Mm. Um, I don't know. It was kind of weird. But um, it was just basically to, like, end everything and the relationship and kind of cause that to end but she didn't have a lot of like legal basis because there'd been no stalking and no harassment and anything else yeah so it was kind of like oh this isn't really like a thing but this huge like custody controversy was really highly publicized at the time Mm. the los angeles times and extra like covered the entire thing wow which is kind of nuts um and it actually went up to being heard in the Superior Court of Los Angeles County. Um, her mother was claiming that the Bradleys had brainwashed her into filing for emancipation and had turned her against, um, had turned her daughter against her by like belitting, belittling her intelligence and like, I don't know, all these other things. The Bradleys were like, we haven't taken any money from her. Mm-hmm. Um, we only have authority over her, over her career, but we're like not gonna seek any money from her earnings, and we're just kind of like, no, we stand by her. Yeah, it all kind of fizzled out, um, which is kind of like an anticlimactic end. But um, basically, the Bradleys were like, we have not and will never do anything to interfere with her relationship with her mom. And then her mother was like, I'm not gonna cause her to stop dancing. I just don't want her to dance with you. Oh. And because she, like, said that she'd make sure she kept dancing and then, like, Misty Copeland had said that she didn't quite understand emancipation, kind of withdrew the petition and was like, no, I don't really want to emancipate from my mom. I don't think I understood exactly what it meant. Yeah. Um, the whole thing kind of, like, fizzled out and it, like, ended. Hmm. But kind of a crazy thing. Her mom refused to have the Bradleys be a part of her life anymore, though, so... She re-enrolled in high school for her junior year and was on pace still to graduate with the rest of her class. And then she, um, her mother actually went back to that original drill team teacher and was like, hey, help me find a new ballet school for her. So she began to study at the Lodgerson Ballet Center. And it actually, the teacher was a former American ballet theater dancer, which was really good. And um, she was restricted to only studying in afternoons now because she was attending school full time. Mm-hmm. But they like she held up a good GPA. She finished like her mom was putting away her earnings from ballet and only used them as needed for things in reference to that. So like her funds were secure. Her ballet career was continuing and everything kind of was good. We're going to take a quick break just to spotlight one of our new So I actually artists. found this person just by going through our followers. I think I mentioned this on our last episode, but like all the artists that are following us, I love it because I get to go through and find you and stock your accounts. So Seriously, this yeah. person is an 18-year-old painter. Her Instagram account is Serenity Bliss and Bliss is spelled B-L-Y-S-S. So, I, I mean, I only thing I know about her is that her Instagram is beautiful and that it says that she paints the feminine spirit. And if you go through Ooh. her paintings, they're truly beautiful. Like, I am so obsessed. 
And so, yeah, honestly, just follow her and just stalk her because it's so beautiful. Like the work that she does, it looks like she has an Etsy shop. Um, so she, you know, has a couple prints there that you could purchase. So you could definitely check those out. They're beautiful. I'm looking at them right now and yeah, they're amazing. So again, that is Serenity Bliss. Bliss is spelled B-L-Y-S-S on Instagram. Painter, super inspiring. So yeah, go fill up your Instagram feed with some art. These are stunning paintings. Really, really pretty. I'm obsessed. Wow. I am so impressed when people paint people. I know. Like, <laughs> you're so complicated. <laughs> and they look so, like, realistic and, like, alive they really in a way. do. She's actually painted some dancers. That kind of ties into our oh, yeah. episode today. That's I did that on purpose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um... My spotlight is actually, it was recommended by a listener and my friend, Chloe Loveland. Um, She recommended her um, friend and photographer, Savannah McKenzie. Um, Her account is SNM underscore banana. B-A-N-A, B-A-N-A-N-A. Banana is such a weird word to spell. Um, I definitely always just like go back to Gwen Stefani of (laughs) B-A-N-A-N-A-S. So... There you go. But she takes like these really beautiful photos of a lot of different things. It's definitely like a very diverse photo account, which I really enjoy. Mm -hmm. Um, More artistic kind of photos as well. Um, She took like a picture of some journals that she had over the years. She's done some commission work. Um, Just like really colorful. And then she's also done like some really beautiful black and white imagery. Like it's just like a very diverse and stunning account to follow she has like a series called skin a self-portrait and it's like a bunch of close-up photos of people's skin which i think is really cool Mm. um it looks like she's done a lot of just really different things like collaborations um she has like some artwork that's just kind of like journal like late night expression type stuff some collage really creative photography too yes just really really creative so check her out um and follow along again the under the username is snm underscore banana yeah and just a reminder if you have anyone that you want to recommend or even yourself um our dms are always opened Mm -hmm. or we have an email it's more than amused podcast at gmail.com yes um you can send anything you want all right now back to the show like everything worked out she graduated high school obviously and like went on to have a good career she was declared the american ballet theater's national cola coca-cola scholar in 2000 Mm. which apparently is a thing and then ended up joining the american ballet theater as a member of the corps de ballet in 2001 Mm -hmm. and then um ended up becoming one of the first so like there had been a couple of african-american female soloists before Mm -hmm. like i mentioned before but she was like the first in like 20 years if that makes sense yeah so it had been a really really long time since they had had an african-american female soloist so she was like 
the first after a long time. Wow. Yes. And then just recently, like I mentioned in 2015, she was promoted to the role of a principal dancer, making her the first African-American woman to ever be promoted to that position in the company's 75-year history. Wow. Which is a very long time to not have that there. She went on to have a lot of roles. Um, a lot of it just ended up listing her ballet roles, and it like doesn't mean a lot to me because I don't know a lot about ballet. Mm-hmm. But she was in a role called Firebird for a ballet called Firebird, so it was the lead role, and then ended up being Clara again for the Mal- American Ballet Theater's production of The Nutcracker. Mm-hmm. And then um, in 2014, she was the first black woman to perform the lead role of Odette, in the American Ballet Theater's Swan Lake, which I love Swan Lake, so that was cool to hear about. Truly, I only know Swan Lake because of Barbie Swan Lake, but it's Right? (laughs) Such a good movie, though. I know. I love Odette. (laughs) Honestly, way to go, um, Barbie, for making all of the ballet stories, like, more applicable. The Barbie Nutcracker is also a marvelous movie. (laughs) (laughs) So if you want to know about the plot of any of these ballets, (laughs) go watch the Barbie version. Seriously. It's been 10 years since I've seen them, but I bet I would still love them now. <laughs> oh, yeah. The music is always oh, yeah. really good. <laughs> anyway. Anyways. She also ended up in the role of Juliet in Romeo and Juliet, mm. which I didn't know was also a ballet, which yeah, that's makes cool. sense, I guess. So eight months after joining the ballet company, the American Ballet Theater, mm-hmm. she was sidelined for over a year um, with a lumbar stretch stress fracture Mm -hmm. fracture and they went in to kind of figure out what was going on and it was actually during her lead role of firebird so like one of her very first roles Mm -hmm. that this happened kind of backtracking a little bit what had happened is when she joined the company she weighed 108 pounds and was five foot two inches wow and she's 19 at this point and apparently her puberty had been delayed which is a common situation for ballet dancers huh which I was like, how does that happen? But I guess like the rigorous training. training and stuff can like end up delaying their puberty. Weird. So because of this fracture, they were really worried about her bone strength. Mm. And the doctor was like, well, if we induce puberty, then like your bones will strengthen because like you're not finished maturing. Yeah. And that's like why your bones are so fragile. And so he prescribed birth control pills to, like, help induce puberty yeah. and help her finish growing, pretty much. And um, she actually had a really hard time with it because in one month, she gained 10 pounds. Wow. And then her breasts, like, grew. Yeah. And she went from, like, pretty much, like, an A cup to a double D. <laughs> Which I can't even imagine. Yeah. Um, they had to, like, alter all of her leotards and... She just hated it because it's not very common to have, like, a big bust size in ballerina and yeah. ballet. In ballerina. <laughs> in ballet, it's not really common. Yeah. And she said she hated this sign that she was different from the others. And it actually really affected her dancing because she was so self-conscious that she wasn't dancing strong anymore. She was, like, too busy trying to hide her yeah. breasts. So she was, like, moving differently because she was so self-conscious. And the... Um, the management of the ballet theater actually had to call her in to talk about her body. And it led to um, body image struggles and a binge eating disorder Mm -hmm. for a short time. Well, I I can only imagine because it's like, you know, I've been through periods in my life where I've like maybe gained weight and lost weight. And 
when my body changes, there's kind of that like adjustment period, you know, of I'm like, this mm-hmm. is my body and that's okay. But it's always over like the, you know, over time, you know, over like maybe a couple yeah. months or a year that like I notice that my body changes. So I can't imagine like in one month your body changing mm-hmm. so much like because it is a lot to do with, you know, like it, when your it body is. suddenly changes like that, it's like what <laughs> yeah no actually like when I started birth control right before I got married yeah. I gained a ton of weight mm-hmm. um my body just didn't react very well to it and it was the first time I'd ever been on anything and it was really frustrating um especially right before my wedding like <laughs> when you're like super self-conscious and it was really really hard and I can't even imagine like having to be a having to wear the tight leotards when you are so self-conscious about your body yeah it doesn't even like matter what the actual weight is on the scale it's just Uh that it was different and yeah and especially with like your boobs changing that much like that would be really hard to deal with like I can't even imagine like how that would kind of change your balance and everything else too like no and like honestly like really really hard as someone who has bigger boobs <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's something I always was in like I've been insecure about like that is an insecurity point where I would like I would love to have smaller boobs and so I cannot imagine mm-hmm. going from an A cup to a double D in a month like right uh, like all of a sudden having to live with that like that's yeah like I said just like when your body changes I think that's a traumatic thing enough that no matter w- how your body changes that's kind of something you have to like come to terms with and deal with Mm-hmm. And you have to like figure out a way to deal with it healthily. So to have to deal with that in the span of a month, like I can only imagine how difficult that would be. Yes, exactly. Especially as like a ballerina. Yes. Which I think is like this whole new level. Because of... it is so body centric of like mm-hmm. y- you are expected to look a certain way. Like that would be really, really hard. Mm-hmm. So over the next year she kind of struggled with this and she had some new friendships that she got outside of the American Ballet Theater mm-hmm. which included Victoria Rowell and her boyfriend and they she said that they actually helped her regain confidence in her body Aww. yeah that they were really like helpful in that and um she realized that her curves were an integral part of who she is as a dancer and not something she needed to lose to become one wow that's so it's just kind of like I can dance regardless of what I look like Mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter. And that's a part of who I am and not like something I need to get away from. Yeah. And also too, like I was just thinking about the fact that like the reason why her body looked that way is because puberty was like being put off, you know? And like, I don't know. Now I'm just like thinking about the problems of like, you know, with the fact that women's bodies change when they go through puberty and birth Mm -hmm. control. You know, I I think you've mentioned you gained weight on birth control. Mm-hmm. I gained weight on birth control. Like that's super common. And it's just like, but I think at the same time, there's like this weird expectation that we want to maintain the bodies that we had when we were 15, 16. Like, you know, like the amount of times I'm like, wow, yes. I wish I looked the way I did when I was 16. When it's like, wait, no, I was a child. Like <laughs> that was before puberty. Like I shouldn't look that way. That would be, you know what I mean? Like it's so normal for a body to change. Yes. And especially, like, it made her body stronger. Yeah. Like, her bones wouldn't no, break as much. Really and, like, point. yeah, I think it's important to realize that, like, yes, 
women gain weight and we don't look as like we did when we were 15 or 16 or even 19. But at the same time, it's like that's what's supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. Like you're supposed to be strong and like capable of all those things. And that's like within our genetics is to like make us strong and capable of like yes childbirth but more than that too yeah but it's crazy that like we're like oh no there's something wrong with this when I love that you brought that up like she gained like it helps her body be stronger which is mm-hmm. like that's why our body changes and adapts to our environment yes. and it ends up be- maybe mm-hmm. us being stronger or protecting itself or I don't know mm-hmm. just a whole yeah like thing. it's what was supposed to happen yes. like that's what her body is supposed to look like yeah and that's what I was just trying to do is get back to that. And I think it's important to realize that like, no, like yeah. you're okay. <laughs> it's normal. Yeah. Um, and she said that she was able to get there and um, she started dancing with confidence and joy again. And the staff at the American Ballet Theater was giving her positive feedback again, which I think is important to realize that they weren't giving her negative feedback necessarily because of her body. It was like the negative things that was happening in her own dancing because because she was self-conscious which I thought was important to realize is that like she needed to have that confidence in herself and then that changed everything for them Mm -hmm. so they just needed to see that like she could dance how she was able to dance regardless of what her body looked like Mm -hmm. and once she was able to do that then it wasn't a problem for the staff anymore And she said she kind of feels like she was able to change everyone's mind about what a perfect dancer is supposed to look like. I love that. Um, Obviously, she also struggled a little bit because she was the only black woman in the company Mm. um, and kind of felt a burden of ethnicity, she explained, in a lot of different ways. It would be really hard. Like, I can't even imagine. I've never had that experience where I walked in and have been the only person Mm -hmm. that looks like me. And... Obviously, I feel very privileged for that. Um, I can't imagine w- being a part of a ballet company and being the only dancer yeah. that looks the way that you do. Like, that would be hard. Um, she actually contemplated cr- changing her career quite a few times Wow, because of that. She just had a lot of, like, isolation and self-doubt from the rest of the company just because of her differences. Like, not only her body changes at this time, but then realizing that she was the only person who's the color of her skin Mm -hmm. and, like, everything else. Um, One of the artistic directors of the American Ballet Theater um, had uh, Susan Fales Hill, who um, was a writer and arts figure of the American Ballet Theater, um, kind of mentor her and she was able to introduce her to black women trailblazers and kind of help her gain perspective of like the role that she was playing kind of Mm -hmm. in her culture and like as a part of her career and that kind of helped her get over that as well and gain perspective and everything so she had a lot of really important relationships during that time that I think helped her become who she was so um she continued to dance and had a lot of notable roles and actually went on to write a couple of books oh cool she's written quite a few so the first part was she was included in a picture book by a former dancer rosalie o'connor 
and was in that and then also she's done a couple of children's books she's done one based on her role in firebird and then she has a picture book she did called um bunheads where she talks about her first time learning about ballet actually bought the little ebook on kindle of the bunheads to read and it was really cute um she just talks about her and like a friend and how excited she was to like dance in her first ballet and everything and then um in 2004 she met her biological father for the first time and she said she regrets not doing that sooner and then um continued to do even more ballets like i said lists all of her roles if you really want to go and see all of them they are on her wikipedia page if you wanted to read through every single ballet role she's ever had it's a lot of them but something that was said about her is misty has the capability to absorb something extremely fast and then reproduce it exactly and she gives such clarity to the material if i were to make my own company she would be the first one i call wow and that was by jorma ello um kind of just goes to show like how good she was at this um and just how well-known she was mm-hmm. for her roles in ballet that she was doing. And um, she was featured in a dance magazine as well, saying that she was just really great and had sublime rapport with her partners. So just wonderful career. Um, she's danced on like a ton of television programs and been featured in a lot of publications. She's been written about a lot. Um, she was honored with an induction into the Boys and Girls Club National Hall of Fame. Um, and was named the National Youth of Year Ambassador for the Boys and Girls Clubs of America, which I think is cool because that's kind of where she started. She has a lot of endorsements, including Diet Dr. Pepper. Awesome. Love it. (laughs) And also works with a lot of charitable organizations. Um, In 2014, she actually was appointed to President Obama's Council on Fitness, Sports, and Nutrition. Wow which I thought was really cool. So she got to meet the president of the United States and help out with that. She also has a memoir, which is a New York Times bestseller called Life in Motion. And she co-wrote it with a journalist and author, um, which is about her life. I have not read it, but it looks really, really good. And then um, also received an honorary doctorate from the University of Hartford. Oh, that's cool for her contributions to classical ballet and helping to diversify the art form, which I think is awesome. And then kind of a fun little like Christmas tie-in is um, I mentioned she had a lot of roles in The Nutcracker and that one of her first roles was actually the lead role of Clara. And then the following year, she actually was the Sugar Plum Fairy, which is another coveted role within the ballet. And she... Apparently, I'm, I, so she was in the Disney's Nutcracker film that came out like two years, a year ago, two years ago. I don't think I saw that. Yeah, I saw part of it. They changed the plot, so I wasn't like a huge fan, Uh Um, but she was in it and that's really cool. Yeah, that is cool. (laughs) But she did this interview about um, like the Disney Nutcracker film. And she talked about one of her first roles of Clara in the American Ballet Theater for the Nutcracker. Mm -hmm. She actually ended up with a back injury for a while, too. So obviously ballet and injuries kind of go hand in hand. So um, but she was able to come back after that back injury and actually ended up being the lead role of the Nutcracker again Mm -hmm. (laughs) right after. And um, 
she said, and then I feel like the Nutcracker has made my career and I've had so many points in my life where the Nutcracker has impacted my life in some way. So um, she got to, she was the only ballerina in the film, like the only professional ballerina in the film. Wow. And she said, it's an honor, if anything, that Disney looked at me and said, you're ballet to us. And then I could be in this film. Now, people that have never seen dance before look at me and think, oh, that's what a ballerina looks like. And that's incredible. That is cool. So she thought it was really cool that they chose to immortalize a black dancer within like an iconic Christmas tale Mm -hmm. and to be able to represent ballet and diversity within Disney, which is something that like everyone sees. Yeah. And she also said it's hard for people to even accept that we're a part of it because it's not what they're used to seeing. They're told the ballerina is white with blue eyes and blonde hair. And so for my career to have gotten to this place where people who have no idea what ballet is about or never even heard classical ballet can see me in a national commercial, it's crazy. Yeah, that's really cool. So, mm -hmm. Just really, really cool. Well, I think it's so cool that it's like she's obviously accomplished so much. And, like, Mm -hmm. while, like, I understand that, like, that educator that took her in, like, that teacher ended up being maybe a little bit problematic for her family and her situation, like, I think it just kind of shows, like, I don't know, like, the importance of, like, a good educator, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and also, like, those communities and, like, those, like, community programs, like, where it said, like, there was a free ballet class once a week, you know, that she could go Mm -hmm. to and have that ability to go to because I was thinking like there's definitely this like like it's a privilege to pursue things to a full extent because it is can be a huge financial burden you know to Mm -hmm. and a time burden that if like the parents in you know of those families aren't able to devote that time or devote that money then maybe the kid doesn't get to pursue it as much as they could even though they have amazing natural ability so I mean yeah. That's awesome that, you know, obviously that there was that educator in her life that was able to recognize that talent and just be like, no, no, no. Like, we are not <laughs> like you're gonna letting do this. this be diminished. <laughs> and that she yeah. was able to pursue it, I think, probably because of that. I mean, you know, obviously, if she was that good, I feel like there probably was a way that she would have made it happen anyways. But mm-hmm. I don't know. That's just kind of what I was like. It made me think about Yeah, no, one of my favorite quotes from her is, you can start late, look different, be uncertain, and still succeed. I love that, yes. Mm -hmm. And I think it sums up, like, everything. Like, she started late. She was 13 years old when she started dancing, and that's just, like, not a thing. Um, You can look different. Like, she's one of the only African-American dancers Mm -hmm. that is with any of these companies. You can be uncertain, which I'm sure like happened at every turn with all the things we've talked about. And yet she's one of the most successful ballerinas um, that there is. Like her career is phenomenal and she's still going. Like um, she's still continuing to inspire like a whole new generation of ballerinas and like do all these things with all these endorsements and be featured on all this stuff. And it's just incredible. I really love that quote. And I feel like that can be applied to every discipline of art because I know Mm -hmm. that like for me, sometimes I'll look at people who get successful in their teens or in their really early twenties. And I'm like, I'm 23, which I am still really young, but it's like, Mm -hmm. ah, I should be famous by now or else there's no hope (laughs) for me, you know? And it gets so easy to like get really down on myself because of that. And I think in the arts world's, There's always going to be child prodigies, which are amazing. And there's always going to be people who do succeed young. 
But yet there's so many success stories of people who do it when they're older. And like Mm -hmm. those successes are just as much as successes. And like, exactly, you know, like, and every single path to success is just so different. I think maybe especially in the art world. Definitely. I think it's cool too. Cause like, she kind of made me rethink what a prodigy is. Yeah. I always thought like a prodigy is like a little kid yeah. who's just phenomenal at something. And then um, 13 is still really little. Yes, Don't get no, me wrong. Yes. But like it's not like a little five-year-old, but she picked it up so quick and was so good at it that it's just like, no, a prodigy is just someone who like naturally falls into something mm-hmm. and like is just really good at it immediately. And it doesn't mean that like it has to be from the minute you're born that like (laughs) you're that good um it's just that like it comes that easily to you yeah and And, like when she was young it started what is her what choreographing to mariah carey and (laughs) now she's one of the most successful famous ballerinas Mm -hmm. like that's amazing Mm mm-hmm yeah so really incredible obviously her career is still going so i'm sure there's still Mm -hmm. more that will continue to come out about her and she has like amazing quotes too like I'll for sure put a couple on the Instagram because she's said amazing things and I'm sure we'll continue to Mm -hmm. um but just like a very inspirational figure in ballet and just like art in general wow I love that and I don't know why I didn't know about her like I I guess maybe I'm really just that out of touch with like I don't know, athletes, the world. I'm like, I feel like that's someone that almost should be like a household name that I just don't know about. (laughs) Right. Um, Through doing this podcast, it's kind of brought me, um, brought to light like a lot of things for me. And one of them is like, the art world is really disconnected. Yeah. (laughs) Like we aren't very good at being a part of even the other art communities just as a whole like there's nowhere you can go and read about ballet pop music graphic design and like classic paintings like all at the same time and I'm like grateful that we have this and maybe we can start to be that for people mm-hmm. where you can learn about a classical composer one week and then learn about like a professional ballerina yeah. the next and then, because I, and also in the same podcast episode about a professional ballerina we go on a tangent about the grammys <laughs> exactly yeah. like i think art needs to be a little bit more connected like it is like this beautiful thing that is so like mm-hmm. wonderfully a part of each other like authors write the ballets and then the composers compose the music and then the dancers dance at it and then the ads are designed by graphic designers and artists and the sets and the costumes and like it should be this huge collaboration and for some reason it's like all chopped up into these tiny little industries that hardly ever touch yeah I really love that point because you're so right like even just in the times where I've tried to like put out music myself like it makes me so hyper aware of like okay, I can do the music side and I can do the songwriting and I can sing, but like I am not very good visually. So I need someone to do my graphic design, which has been and always Mm -hmm. will be you. But then also like, (laughs) I also need someone, I'm like, man, I can't dance, but it would be so cool if there was a dancer or it'd be so cool if I could get someone to play this instrument for me. Or you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like everything's so interconnected and I think we can create bigger, more beautiful things when it is connected, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I agree. So I don't know. I like that we get to be that little spot Mm -hmm. 
um and that if you want to be a part of the bigger art world that like this is somewhere you could come to learn about Definitely. those people that are a part of it so and very happy to learn more about ballet I'm excited to kind of dive into more industries that I don't know a lot about mm-hmm. in the future and kind of learn more about these things if you have one in mind or somebody that maybe we're you think we should cover that we're missing we'd be happy to take suggestions of course our dms are always opened yes absolutely yeah so that's misty copeland perfect yay i love that i just followed her on instagram so excited to get to follow her continue to follow her yeah i was gonna mention that she's really really active on her social media for the most part so definitely go and follow her um check out like her memoir and her books and everything if you have a daughter get some of those picture books for her even a son like nothing wrong with that um but I think they're really great and they help redefine kind of what a ballerina is and I think that's an important thing to do cool well thank you so much for tuning in this week it's December so we're gonna try and be a little bit Christmas themed this month Mm -hmm. vaguely but continue on this (laughs) happy December yeah yeah Happy holidays, everyone, and we will see you next week.